scripture memory verse tonight, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, so much the more, and exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. So I was trying to correct those three words, and I almost forgot half the verse. <laughs> Anybody else? <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Good job. Anybody else? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love, love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Good job. Anybody else? Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us, uh, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. For it is the manner of some, but exulting As much as, what is it? Exhorting one another. As much as. And so much. And so much, whatever that line. No. <laughs> and so much. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Real good job because she said, as you see the day approaching, and I said, as we see the day approaching. So I know I said it. I've got four words in there that I've got. And I've been I've known the verse for years, and I've just been kind of adding four words differently a little bit. There, it's fine. Anybody else want to try it? Read it. Know it. Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, which is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. I said it wrong. Anyway. Uh, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Good job. We only had two weeks to memorize this. Anybody else? Read it, know it, share it. No, uh, no, uh, shame, no guilt. If you don't know it, it's not a big deal. We're just trying to learn scripture together. And again, I put myself in a, in a uh, awkward place in the middle of a text. I don't know if you guys have read, uh, 
the book of Hebrews, which I believe Paul wrote. Uh, many people argue about it. The entire book, to me, of Hebrews is a argument against Jewish people that are going to walk away from Jesus and not believe in him anymore because they're afraid that they're going to be excommunicated from the synagogue, which is the warning that they were given by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if anybody believe in him. And so to me, uh, the book is written to keep people from walking away from Jesus. That's my personal opinion. Many people say, well, you can't do that. Well, then why would Paul or any other author in the Holy Spirit write something to keep you from doing it if you couldn't do it? If it was an impossibility to do, then why would there be an entire book, a priestly book that ties in and lines up with everything that has to do with Leviticus, which is a priestly book, if it was an impossibility to do? So that's my argument toward that. Be very careful. And we're not going to be able to do all the book, but if you wish to do it, you would see that you know, in uh, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, God spoke, or excuse me, uh, uh, oh my goodness, my brain went dead. Uh, in past times, in divers' manners, God spoke through the prophets. Uh, and in these last days, he has spoken to his son, Jesus. Uh, and, and it opens up with Jesus. It opens up how all things were created by Jesus and uh, for Jesus and through Jesus and how he's greater than the ministering angels uh, that are sent for those that are um, going to uh, inherit salvation, 114. And then uh, he tells us not to neglect or let such a salvation pass us by, that we're supposed to anchor into the dock. He uses a whole bunch of nautical terms in chapter 2. To give the more earnest heed. And he, and he shows how Jesus is greater than the angels. Then he shows how Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, and he makes this case all the way up through how Jesus is bringing rest that the law could not give us. All the way up. And even in chapter 10, he talks of the sacrifice. He's talking of the priestly duties. And I'm trying to give you a quick preview of it. But it's amazing if you look at chapter 10 and just start reading it and see that he's talking about this final sacrifice, how everything in the Old Testament looked forward, prefigured, was a type of Christ. That the, uh, that the priest under the law, in verse uh, even 11, he says, they would stand ministering. Listen, stand ministering all day long. They had to keep offering sacrifices, keep killing animals, Keep presenting blood. Keep sprinkling the sacrifice. And Jesus one time offered himself and then sat down. And there's only one throne in heaven. So when he sat down, it's clear proof that he's God. Because he sat down after ministering and sprinkling the sacrifice. Um, and, and it's a final sacrifice, just like Paul says over in 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's 31, he who knew no sin became sin for us uh, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And, and there's no need for any other sacrifice. He actually 
uh, it says in 118, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. There's no longer needs. In the Old Testament, under the law, they kept doing this. They kept doing this. They kept bringing a sacrifice. There was Because in the Old Testament, it was called a kofar, right? A covering is what a kofar is. It covered sin so God could live in the presence of sinners until when Jesus would come and take away the sins of the world. And then now we have the revelation, the mystery revealed of who the Messiah is, who God's provision is, of who this child that was born to Mary was, and it's Jesus Christ the Lord. And then so we see, and I'm going to have to go back to verse 19. I know we're in 24 and 25. I might give you some homework. You would read 26 and following. Uh, 10, 26 and following because um, there's a warning here about turning away and sinning willfully and it's right after our verse. Wait a minute, we were talking about this earlier. It's right after our verse. So is he calling it like willful sin not to assemble together? I mean, that's because we're a family and because now we're, we're commanded to exhort one another. We're commanded to help one another. We're supposed to be here just like Christ did, laying down his life for others. That's what we're called to do as, the, as, as believers in Christ, as those that the Holy Spirit's living through. We're supposed to be serving. So there's three points I want to make, actually, as we look at this. Nobody else wants to share, right? Um. Three things. Verse 22, what does he say? Draw near. Verse 23, he says, hold fast. Verse 24, he says, consider. Listen, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and then let us consider one another. These are the things that he's saying we should do. Since the sacrifice has been made, we're supposed to be drawing near to God, holding fast to that confession and our identity in Christ is something that we need to learn about, that most saints have no idea who they are in Christ, and so they still struggle and stare at their sin instead of holding fast to the sacrifice that was made that cleanses them once and for all, that purifies them once and for all, that sanctifies and cleanses them positionally completely. And so then the devil keeps them in bondage, always looking at what they've done instead of looking at what Christ has done for us. That's our identity, what Christ has done for us. And that's why it's so important to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Because now we have, we have the word to tell us who God is and what he's done. Then we have prayer to talk to him. And then we have fellowship to keep one another accountable and exhort one another or encourage one another, draw near to one another with the word of God so that we don't be... So that we're not a, a sheep that's taken off behind the barn, isolated and then decimated by the enemy, because we don't understand who we are in Christ Jesus. He died for us. He consecrated us. He set us apart. And you know, it says in Hebrews 4:16 that we now can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because of Christ. He's our high priest. So that's where I want to pick up at here in 19, where he says, therefore. 
Now, I can't give you the first 10 chapters. I was trying to give you a little bit of preview. Therefore, what is therefore, brethren, um, actually, it actually says in the King James, uh, having therefore boldness. And it's, it's got the word echo there, which is important. Having therefore boldness. In other words, now you possess boldness in the spirit. This is part of our identity. This is part of our authority. That word echo is something that we possess. We have boldness. Why? Why? Because of Christ. We're going to see here in a minute. But having, therefore, boldness, and boldness is, 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 is confidence, open confidence, not about what we've done, but what, what Christ has done, that we openly believe and understand. Think about the boys when Peter denies Christ three times. And then when he receives the Holy Spirit, look at the open confidence, the boldness, the all-outspokenness when he began to tell them, you crucified the Lord of glory. The confidence that he now has in Christ, it's because he possesses it because Christ possesses him. He's been bought by the blood. He's been covered with the blood. And now you want to make this your own. You want to draw near. You want to hold fast. And then you consider others and help them with this same confidence and boldness to understand. That's what discipleship is about. That people that believe, that instruct them how to come and draw near and hold fast. And then consider one another so that we understand that we can be confident in Christ. We can be confident in our standing. We can be confident in our place. We can be confident in our husbandman that we're betrothed to that's coming back to get us. And he's given us the provision of the dowry of the Holy Spirit to wash us and cleanse us and purify us and lead us into the heavenly places. You can be confident of this. We don't have to be wishy-washy, weak, anemic Christians. And I'm not talking about being brash sailors or haughty, proud sinners. There's a meekness that comes with it. There's a mildness that's there. But there's a boldness that comes out from knowing our Lord. From knowing that we walk up on people. And if they don't know Jesus, we know the Lord of glory. And I don't care how smart they are, how many PhDs that the world puts behind their name, how much money they have, we have what saves their soul for eternity, and we should not shrink back from sharing the gospel with them because of who Jesus is, because of what the Spirit is doing in us, because we are drawing near, holding fast, and we're considering that the devil is trying to decimate people. We're considering others, especially one another, those that are, that are the same as us, that know Jesus. So we want to encourage people, exhort them, draw near to them, and tell them not to shut up, but stand up and speak up. Because what could they do? Kill us? And then we'll be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So therefore... Are having therefore boldness, brethren, to do what? To enter the holiest, that's the holy of holies, right? This is the place where the, the even the high priest 
<clears throat> didn't have a lot of confidence. You know what I mean? Even the high priest didn't have a lot of confidence, nor did other people have high priestly confidence. In fact, what they would do is that once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they, they would actually have to offer a sacrifice first for themselves because they were sinners, and then they would offer one for the nation. But when they would go into the Holy of Holies, they had on, uh, on their, uh, the hem of their garment bells, a bell of pomegranate, a bell of pomegranate. But they would actually, and I've never seen it in the scriptures, but they say historically that they would literally tie a rope around the leg of the priest because nobody was allowed in there. And if they stopped hearing the bells, they would just pull him out because he done messed up in there in the temple. That's all I've heard. I mean, I don't know, but that's, uh, that would be like, oh my goodness. I mean, think about when we open up in Luke and we see Zacharias lighting incense. He's not even in the Holy of Holies, but he's right there by it because it represents the prayers of the saints. He's not the high priest. He's just a Levitical priest who's lighting the incense, which meant that they see the smoke rising and the prayers of the saints were going up. And all of a sudden, Gabriel's there, and he's like freaking out. There's not boldness. There's not confidence. There's like, how will I know that I'm gonna my, that Elizabeth is gonna have a child? And he said, I'm gonna put shut up on your mouth until the day that it happens, because I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and have been dispatched to tell you this. And so there, was, there wasn't confidence. He was freaking out, even after praying his whole life for his wife to bear fruit. So now, though, we, you and I, we can have confidence looking back because of the blood of Jesus. Notice this, the Holy of Holies, by the blood of Jesus, not by any other blood. I was talking with a young man today, and he would just say, well, I just think, and I speculate, and I, and, I, and I think that there's going to be, there's three kinds of people. There's people that hear, and they don't believe. There's people that hear, and they believe. And then there's people that never hear. And, and I just think that God's going to have another way for them to come to, to, to salvation, and he's going to have mercy on them. He's going to take them into heaven. And I go, you just changed the whole gospel with your speculation. You made up some scenario, and then you changed the whole gospel. There's salvation in no other name but in Jesus. You just changed the whole gospel. You said God has all the power and he can let people in whichever way he wants. God said himself, who does not lie, you don't get in if you don't have the blood of Jesus. I said, you can't. That's the problem with people that are woke and want to make up ideas and you want to make up speculation and you want to go places that nobody else is going. He says, well, you don't think God's all powerful? I said, yeah, he is. He says, well, you don't think there's going to be people that don't hear? I said, no, everybody will hear. God already said everybody's going to hear. So why do I need to make up that scenario that you're making up in order to change the gospel? I said, be very careful because when you get in your pride and when you get in yourself and you think you have to answer every question, then you make up scenarios that limit God. And then you change the gospel. I said, why would you change the gospel? We already know that there's salvation in no other name. So don't make up a scenario that would create a way that there's salvation some other way. Because then you just change the gospel. And we've got this all over the church today. Everywhere where we change what God has said. That's why it's so important to know what he said. Did God really say, Eve, 
Uh, he said that, uh, think about it. Did God really say? What did God say? That's still the trick the devil plays on us. So we want to have the mind of Christ. We want to have the mind of Christ. So we draw near. We hold fast. We consider. We be, we're being set free to follow him. There's, I mean, anything else, you begin to sin willfully. If you're not set free to follow him, if you're not set free to, to be back in union with him, if you're not set free to be right with him, then you aren't set free at all. Because you have some other idea that you can keep doing whatever you want. We're not talking about sin. See, this is one of the big problems that I find with the gospel, that the devil wants us all to focus on sin. Sin has been dealt with. That's what this is talking about. He, the remission is there. It's been dealt with. I'm not talking about in your life and my life that we never sin, but it's already been dealt with. And now there's a prescribed way to deal with it when you fall into it, you stumble into it. When you commit it, you confess it. But it doesn't become the focus. The focus is looking to Jesus. The focus is the blood of the Lamb. The focus is our redemption. The focus is our identity. Not looking behind us. But everybody's looking at a program. Everybody's looking at the sin. Everybody's going, how do I stop doing this? You keep looking. You keep running. You build endurance. You learn not to stumble in those areas. You learn not to listen to the trap bait and the trick bait and the stumbling that he sets up for you. As you keep running, how does a runner get better? He keeps running. He learns to run with endurance. And he says, I'm going to lay aside this weight. And I'm going to take off this sin. And I'm going to get rid of this. And I'm going to keep putting on Jesus. And I'm going to get more aerodynamic. And I'm going to stop trying to run in my combat boots. And with this and this and this. And I've got to carry this. And I'm going to try to run a race carrying all of these things. So you get better when you learn to lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares you. And the thing that so easily ensnares people is that they're always staring at their sin. And always feeling like they're not competent. They don't have confidence. And so then they want to try to get some self-esteem. Which is psychology. So now they just picked up some more weight in their sin. We have the boldness. We already possess it. It's freely given in Christ Jesus when you believe. To run with confidence. We're children of the king. I'm not giving you permission. Like Paul says, certainly not. God forbid that I would give you permission to sin. That's not the point. The point is not, hey, I'm going to lay in it, waller in it, and, and enjoy it. The point is, is, Quit worrying about it. It's already been paid for. And you can't be charged with it. Just like in a court of law, it's called double jeopardy. Since somebody already paid the full penalty for it, you can keep trying to pay for it all you want, but there's no debt due. It is tetelestai, finished, paid in full. You're set free to run. And when you realize that love, you go, what love is this? That he would die and take our full brunt of the wrath of God and set us free and we can still stumble and learn to run a race to win. But the penalty is supposed to be gone so that you can feel free to keep following. And then you choose that love because he first loved us. 
it's so amazing. We were talking about it again. We talked about it Sunday, and I've been, I've been talking about it all week. I remember that. I mean, God reminded me of that insight that that He gave me because we're in Christ Jesus, and and I was reminded of how when a baby's in a womb, in water, don't miss the Holy Spirit. You're in a womb, and you're being prepared for those months to live in an environment that you're not in. You're in this. In this other environment, attached to somebody who's taking care of you, and, and you're fully dependent upon them, and then all of a sudden somebody hits you on the butt and you cry, and now you're breathing air in a different environment altogether, but you were prepared in the womb. And right now we're in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the water, and we're being prepared and adorned as a bride that, that's waiting for her groom, and we're being prepared in this womb and then we're going to be in the presence of God. But we need to learn now who we are in Christ Jesus. We need to learn now that, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have a new heart. You're not following the old evil conscience. We're getting ready to read this in the text. We're not following the old nature. We don't want to listen to the old nature. So you have to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And so when you're being led by the Spirit of God, you can recognize the evil nature that you used to live by and say, 